0: Going beyond the headlines? Getting to the heart of the story. Calgary Today with Joe McFarland on 770 CHQR. Well, howdy, everyone. Welcome to another edition of Calgary Today here on 770 CHQR. And uh, a whole lot to get to today. water main issues in our city it's been a big topic of conversation uh the city had a news conference just after nine o'clock this morning and for those who are just hopping in the car i didn't want to i wanted to make sure that you heard all the very latest uh chris houston the manager of drinking water distribution in the city of calgary will also join us after four o'clock to dive into that topic and what the city has been dealing with aka a whole bunch of frozen and broken pipes And that frost has gone real deep. This is deeper than it normally does. Those lines are seven, eight feet deep, and the frost is reaching them. And so not only is that a problem, but also it's kind of tough to get the frost to come out of the ground when you're not getting any kind of warmth. And when you do, you're going to need a lot of warmth. So we'll talk to Chris about that after 4 o'clock. A little bit of talk about the weather as well with Tiffany Lise. She penned a great article on globalnews.ca talking about The different rules around schools and recess. How cold is too cold becomes the question. And I had to laugh at some of the reaction over the last 24 hours or so since she posted that story. In terms of, man, our kids are soft. Is it the kids that are soft or is it us as parents and decision makers making the decisions for these kids? I argue it's the latter we'll talk to Tiffany about her story and also about uh, the reaction to it. We'll also catch up with Tom Vernon from Global News. Uh, he is our legislature reporter. It's been a crazy couple of weeks in the legislature, albeit nobody was really been paying attention because of little gong show known as SNC-Lavalin. And a lot of talk about. The NDP and how they've been campaigning, even though we don't have an election yet. A lot of talk about the UCP and what exactly transpired during the leadership race. And, oh, yeah, there's another party, the Alberta Party, that their leader quietly has been allowed to run in the upcoming provincial election. So we'll kind of get a sense of the scene in Edmonton with Tom Vernon after 5 o'clock. We'll talk a little food by the end of the show as well. Uh, A few burger joints here in Calgary being named some of the best in Canada We'll chat with a foodie here in Calgary near the end of the show. We're going to start things off talking one of the favorite topics, I think, for a lot of our listeners. But it is a conversation worth happening, according to our next guest, Amber Bennett from the Alberta-based, the Alberta-based Associate of Climate Outreach. Climate change, obviously polarizing, but a new project hoping to get some common language, common discussion, and some... Actual decent conversation going uh, was launched. Just a, it's been going on for a while now, and we're going to get the, the nitty gritty on the project itself, as well as where the conversation goes from here. It's Calgary today on 770 CHQR. All right. I, this one grabbed my attention a few days ago, but I, I wanted to retouch on it again because we've been clearly been busy with other things, but the headline read on global news.ca alienated alberta project seeks to find common language on climate change i know everybody's favorite topic conversation but it is something that a lot of people are talking about especially given that you know former president barack obama that was one of his key points during his speech here in town earlier this week so joining us to talk a little bit more about this from climate Outreach is amber bennett amber thanks so much for joining us this afternoon
1: No, happy to be here. Thank you.
0: What is the conversation that you would like to see develop with this project?
1: Uh, Well, we've actually hosted um, a number of conversations around Alberta uh, already. So those took place last year as a part of the Alberta Narratives Project. Um, And so we hosted 55 conversations around the province with um, many different types of people from farmers to oil sands workers, teachers, uh, students all around climate change and energy transition and um, what that means in a, in an Alberta context and so um, the the goal of the project really was to um, better understand um, how we might approach this conversation from a uniquely Albertan perspective um, we know that we're in an oil and gas province and um, and often the conversation isn't happening either at all all um or it's not really grounded in in the the values that we see as um as albertans and so this was really about building bridges into um conversations and figuring out how we might do that in in alberta
0: when releasing that final report what were some of your your big findings
1: yeah so um we actually released Reports And so the first report was um, focused um, kind of on where's the common ground um, across many um, of these conversations. Uh, and I just wanted to add that um, as far as we know, this is the largest um, public engagement of its kind that's ever happened. Um, so I think, you know, we're all very proud of that. Um, there were, you know, about 75 different organizations of individuals who were involved in this. Um, so it really, you know, uh, there was a lot of people um, who, who took part and who hosted the conversations. And so some of the kind of the key findings um, coming out of that first um, piece of work around what is a um, you know, kind of a common narrative or what might be uh, some common ground was really around this idea of, um, you know, uh, of, of Albertans, um, longing for or wanting, um, you know, you know, we feel vulnerable. Um, so this this kind of sense of being tied to a single um, economy, a, a single fossil fuel economy, um, that people wanted you know, more stable foundations, more balance, um, and that diversifying the economy. Um, you know, whether you were an environmentalist or or a farmer or you know an oil sands worker, that was something that everybody, um, you know, mentioned as something that that they could get behind. Um, so that kind of common narrative of Alberta, you know, as builders and of wanting to kind of stabilize the more stable foundations is one. Um, and then in the second report, we focused more on um, specific audiences. And, you know, I think that um, some of the, the key findings related to that is, you um, you know, for for the most part, people were actually really happy to have a conversation about climate change and, and energy. Um, that they don't often have spaces in which we can we do this, um, and and the importance of um you know grounding that in a sense of um, you know common um, you know we, we brought together groups uh, where people had something in common with each other and, and so maybe they were all farmers or perhaps they were all oil sands workers um, but the point of that is that if you can start the conversation um, with people who you feel respected by um, that you feel something in common with them that it actually allows for a lot of diversity of opinion um, that 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 people felt, um, you know, more comfortable having an open and honest conversation. Um, And so, you know, people actually want to have more civil discourse, um, that there was a lot of agreement around you know, that there's a lot of polarization in general, um, specifically around climate change, um, and that people are looking for for these spaces
0: in which there can be more civil discourse. Uh, People want civil discourse, Amber? That that doesn't sound normal. No, I'm kidding. I'm just just bugging you. (laughs) On that note though, is is it gives those uh, who are from one particular background, whether it's somebody who's active in the climate change movement or someone who is, say, in the oil sands, it gives them that ability to to share perspectives and maybe give a little bit of understanding from "quote unquote" the other side.
1: Yeah, and um, you know, and I think another part of this this um, project was around actually listening. And so, um, it's not unusual for people to to not have the opportunity to sit down with somebody who is. Um, dissimilar to them um, or who might be outside of their friends and family and actually listen to what they have to say. And so one of the kind of Opening questions that we asked people was, you know, what makes you proud to be Albertan, and definitely um, our sense, you know, the the you know the beauty of our natural environment. Um, that we're people who build things here, we get things done, um, that uh, we take care of each other, you know, when we need to. Those kinds of themes came up across the board, and, you know, in all of those conversations we had. These kind of common themes of what why people are proud to be here and what makes them have a sense of of what Albertans are like. Um, And that that provides a really kind of uh, important way, you know, place to ground conversations um, when when we're looking for kind of bridges into into, um, topics that are important. And I think I just note that, you know, We don't have to agree on everything, um, but we do have to um, have the ability to to talk about important things. um, And um, and and I think that the that this particular project is really around helping us um, move forward so to have conversations not where everybody agrees with each other but certainly where people feel respected um, and where they feel um, validated.
0: I found the one line in the story interesting one thing the project found was that the people are tired of bluster so Alberta first rhetoric rolled as many eyes as shut down the tar sands so it seems as though there there is at very least a, a desire to I guess, normalize the conversation a little bit and make sure that everybody is being heard, especially those who might be more in the middle or more willing to uh, have that uh, wholesome discussion?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think a couple of things come to mind when you say that. it Absolutely, um, this kind of language that you know, kind of overly um politicky or cliched. People just don't buy it. They don't trust it. It doesn't, you know, it's just like not authentic or genuine. It doesn't you know, um, sound like how we ha- actually have conversations with each other. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's that piece. And then I think um, particularly around climate change, energy transition, you're right. We because that, you know, it's often so polarized, um, we tend to not have conversations about it at all for fear of um, either being judged or feeling under attack or making somebody else. Uncomfortable, and you know we live in a province in which certainly the the people who took part in these conversations, almost everybody had some tie to the oil and gas industry, Um, and we certainly, you know, we don't want to make our friends and family feel uncomfortable or or um, or under you know judged, and so I think that um, what that does is is it actually silences us in a time in which we actually need to be having, you know, conversations with each other because it's important. It's
0: no secret we've been stuck in a deep freeze for a while, but it's having an adverse reaction for uh, frozen water lines, water mains. We've had some water outages lately, and the ground's frozen to levels that are reaching those water mains, down 2.4 meters or 8 feet that's causing all kinds of problems. Joining us now to talk more about that is the manager of drinking water distribution in the city of Calgary, Chris Houston. Chris, thanks so much for the time today.
2: Yeah, good to talk to you, Joe.
0: What is your main message as we go through this cold snap and as we start to deal with some of these uh, water main breaks and other issues that are popping up around the city?
2: Well, I think the biggest message is to recognize this is kind of an unusual situation, an unusual uh, winter in terms of temperatures and uh, frost depth. So normally in Calgary, we get frost to about seven feet deep. And this year, um, it's passing eight feet already and is likely to continue, even though we might see warming trends in the next weeks or so. The fact that we get uh Freezing temperatures at night continues to push that frost a little bit deeper.
0: What is the state of our water mains in that right now? Are most in pretty good shape, or is it just a matter of kind of you only know until some issue does pop up?
2: Well, we do uh, we do annual inspections on different parts of our system. We have uh, quite an aggressive um, main replacement and anode retrofit program to help keep our system in top shape. But we do have uh, older mains in some areas. We do have different soil conditions. We have uh, different pipe materials that make up our distribution system. And a lot of different factors like temperature, frost depth, water temperature, those things can all contribute to a water main breaking.
0: And speaking of those water main breaks, you guys, uh, from the the report that I saw, 80 calls to the city since March 1st alone. So you're looking at, uh, you know, over 10 a day. It's it's a busy time for your crews, isn't it?
2: It's a really busy time for the cruise. I have to give kudos to those guys. They're working in really cold temperatures. They're putting in long days. They're doing their best to get the water back on for people, and they do a fantastic job. The challenge for us is that we not only have all these water main breaks happening but but because of the frost depth, we have a lot of frozen services happening. And so this is where um, individual homes or businesses, their water service pipe actually freezes. And so then we have individual properties that are out of water as well. And so we've been working to contact all of those folks, provide uh, care packages for them. Uh, In in this case, a care package just looks like a flat of water, some water to help flush the toilets, um, some pool passes so they have a place to go get a shower. Um, and on the main break situations, typically on those, we can get the water back on in 24 to 48 hours. And in those cases, we provide emergency water wagons, so the, the folks all have a place to get water to do all those things. And um, when it extends past kind of that 24, 48-hour period, we also like to uh, extend pool passes or shower passes to those folks as well. Any
0: situation thus far that has taken you by surprise or made you go, huh, I didn't see that one coming?
2: Well, I think, you know, when we started the year uh, thinking that we were going to have kind of that El Nino-type condition and it was going to be a mild winter, yeah. um, I think the change, the the dramatic shift in, in temperatures uh, kind of in, in mid to late January and all the way through February and into March here, that, uh, that was... Um, kind of a significant impact to us because our equipment that we use to excavate um, often around other utilities, they're called hydrovacs, and they use high-pressure water to, to do the excavation so it doesn't damage any other utilities around it. Those can freeze up. So that that's kind of a, like we're not typically working in these kind of conditions for long periods of time. So that's caused a lot of delays. Um, but we, you know, again, we're, we're working those extra hours to make it work. I just don't think we saw this type of uh, temperature stretch coming. So that was a surprise. What kind of time
0: are we looking at in terms of when the thaw might actually take hold and you'll be able to actually see the ground that seven or eight feet deep start to uh, get a little warmer?
2: That's a really good question because what happens is, uh, say, in the next week or so, I see some plus temperatures in the forecast. And people will be outside walking around and enjoying a bit of a warmer stretch. But what's happening underground is significantly different, yeah. and that frost does not come out right away. In fact, it'll probably go deeper over the next four four weeks or so. And so uh, it's going to take um, significant warming and you know, overnight freezing temperatures to stop before that frost starts actually coming out. So we're probably looking uh, towards the end of April before we see that start to happen. For those
0: residents who are wondering about, I want to make sure my house is safeguarded, I want to make sure that I'm doing my due diligence, you know, a lot of them at this point have gotten home and are or on their way home and are thinking, man, there's something I can do. Is there a piece of advice that you would have for those who want to maybe help out and avoid a situation happening for themselves?
2: Sure. There's a couple things you can do. One is um, you want to prevent pipes from freezing inside your home. Now, I think we're through the worst patch of cold weather. Doesn't mean the temperatures can't get back to minus 20 and, and that again. But um, and so it's making sure, you know, there's warm air circulating around the pipes in your house. So whether it's opening your kitchen cupboards underneath your sink, um, bathroom vanities where the, where the pipes are on the outside wall, and then checking in your furnace room where your fresh air intake comes in and where your water service comes in. And often people don't realize how close together those are. And in a lot of homes, they're right next to each other, and so you can get that minus 20 air coming through your fresh air intake and just blowing right on that service line. And so you got to make sure that air is circulating around that that's not minus 20. And so that kind of takes care of the inside of the house. We do have a pipe frozen pipe prevention program, which there's about 1,200 people in the program where they have had known uh, frozen service issues in the past, and we communicate with those people starting as early as in December to start running their water uh, to prevent pipe freeze up, and that's something that we've asked them to do. We compensate them for... Their bills are adjusted for that, and then um, there are situations where we're doing a main repair, and... Uh, in these conditions with the frost depths they are, when we start exposing some of those services to repair the water main, there's a chance for those to freeze as well. So oftentimes we'll ask customers to run water for the next several weeks um, to to prevent freeze-up. It's really important when you're asked to run your water that you do. And it's really hard to leave a tap running because people... You know, with water conservation, I think a lot of people have adjusted their thinking and they walk by a running tap and their immediate response is turn it off. And so it's it's a bit of a hard learning process to do that, but you got to leave that water running and it that just helps the pipe from freezing.
0: For sure. Chris, I do appreciate the time this afternoon. Thanks so much. You bet, Joe. Thanks a lot. Chris Houston, manager of drinking water distribution at the City of Calgary talking a little bit about uh, the water main issues we've been having in our city since uh, the deep freeze began and certainly like i said they're they're averaging about 10 to 12 calls a day because of water issues so it looks like the forecast though coming up isn't too bad for actually at least getting started the thaw process Uh, We've been inundated, clearly, with what's been going on in Ottawa with SNC-Lavalin. But there's been a lot of headlines being made here in our province because as much as the writ isn't dropped, everybody's campaigning. And whether it's the NDP and they're campaigning in one spot or whatever the case may be, The UCP has been uh, driving out their their platforms as well. We thought we'd bring in Tom Vernon from Global News in our legislature reporter to give us a little bit more uh, on this. Tom, thanks for joining us. Hey, no problem. Thanks for having me. Walk us through the last few days, because obviously a lot of the attention has been federal politics, but there's been a lot going on in provincial politics, a lot of announcements, uh, everybody's jockeying for position in a sense. But the UCP in particular has really been a little bit under fire, I guess, over some of the things that happened uh in the leadership race walk us through sort of the the chronology of it all
3: yeah so it was a couple of years ago now that jason kenny won the united conservative party of leadership he uh, beat brian Jean and doug schweitzer he, he got the vast majority of the votes i mean it was a clear mandate for him to win and as in all leadership um races there's you know lots of hard feelings and, and that sort of stuff but there was a candidate in there jeff calloway uh he launched towards the start of the the race and then pulled out and backed jason kenny uh, a few weeks before the vote now it came out a leaked audio i think late this year now there were whispers at the time that callaway was just running to attack brian Jean, but it was just whispers and people just going oh yeah okay that's what he's doing but then there was some leaked audio at uh, late 2018 there december november where where there were a couple of folks talking suggesting that it was a kamikaze campaign that uh, the callaway campaign was in cahoots with jason kenney he'd be the the attack dog attack brian Jean, and then throw support behind him now should be made clear that, you know, both Jason Kenney and, and Jeff Calloway deny this. They say in no way Calloway was, you know, he was running a legitimate campaign here. But those whispers got a little louder than we saw Prab Gill put forward a, uh, an email to the RCMP saying, look, the, the, the Kenney camp had, you know, email accounts, uh, ghost email accounts in an offshore uh, country uh, filing votes for him, uh, alleging electoral fraud. So the whispers got louder. The elections commissioner is investigating. We've seen fines against uh, Cam Davies, Jeff Callaway's former co-campaign manager for obstruction of an investigation. He's appealing that. Uh, but those that, those charges are out there. There's another fine against a contributor for uh, contributing money that wasn't hers. Uh, she's not speaking to it, but she was fined for donating that money to the Callaway camp. So all this has been kind of floating around the UCP causing a, a distraction of sorts for their campaign as they're really trying to Push forward on their momentum heading into this campaign so lots of lots of smoke we haven't you know seen the fire we haven't seen the election commissioner come out and say that this is definitely what was happening but certainly some things that uh, are starting to filter out now
0: yeah and even in the last uh, 24 hours or so there was another candidate who was basically mm. removed now based here in calgary uh for not being forthcoming i guess is sort of the term that's been used walk us through this latest uh blip on the radar
3: yeah, so Randy Kerr was the uh, campaign manager for Jeff Cowley, co-campaign manager. Um, now, he hasn't been fined by the election commissioner that, that we have seen. Nothing has come out on him on that front. This actually came from the United Conservative Party. You know, he was a candidate in Calgary for the UCP, and then this statement comes out yesterday saying, no, we're not saying there's anything wrong with this financial do- donation, the $4,000 donation to the Cowley camp, but he wasn't forthcoming to us about it, so... We're gonna, you know, ask him not to run for the party. Now it makes you wonder. Okay, so what's going to come out about this? They're they're obviously trying to get ahead of something here. They've got wind of something, but I mean, the fact we haven't heard from the election commissioner, we haven't seen uh, exactly what the, the allegations are. So it, really interesting timing. Now this all comes in as uh, Jason Kenney sends a cease and desist letter to Proud gill We've mm. seen that that video, the the black and white slow mo video of Jeremy Nolay, the senior advisor for the premier, coming out of Proud gills office. So there's. A lot of noise happening on this side for the party.
0: I know that they're here in Calgary. There's been a lot of talk about it and almost a sense of "Eh, it doesn't really matter. It's, you know, the the, these are all minor details and not in Jason Kenney's purview. What I am curious, so what is the feeling up at the legislature right now? Is everybody walking on pins and needles waiting for (laughs) something else to go on? Because it it seems as though, uh, despite what's been going on federally, there seems to be something new coming out of the ledge every couple of days here.
3: Yeah, so I mean, it's it's you know politics 101 Watching you know watching this all unfold, the UCP are doing all they can to say, no, there's nothing here. Let's actually talk about what we're talking about—the issues that matter: our tax cuts, our mm-hmm. our red tape reduction. Let's talk about that. Whereas the the NDP, they're doing all they can to to highlight this thing. Hold on a second. Now now we've seen uh, this Prab Gill video. Now we've seen uh, they, you know they want to talk about this. They want Albertans to see what's going on here. But the really interesting thing is, are Albertans paying attention to this? We haven't, like I said, we haven't seen a, a giant smoking gun here yet we've seen some fines in the jeff calloway campaign are is this something albertans are really paying attention to and is this something that is going to blow up in the face of the united conservative party as we head into that spring vote? the ndp you know they're hoping for it and you know they're <laughs> hoping that uh, this they're gonna that people keep talking about this and they're gonna keep I mean, we get calls and emails from them every day saying oh have you seen this so uh they're gonna keep trying to keep this on the forefront it's just are albertans paying attention and-
0: Yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, Tom Vernon, Global News reporter for the the legislature here in uh, in Alberta, up in Edmonton. Thanks so much for the time, sir. Fun little conversation happening over the last few days as Tiffany Lise from Global News wrote up a little story about how cold it really needs to be to have indoor recess at schools and tiffany joins us now to dive a little bit more into what the response has been thus far tiffany thanks for joining us today
4: thanks for having me
0: you did a little bit of research on what's too cold for some schools and what did you find
4: well i found it really interesting here in calgary we actually have one of the warmest thresholds so uh the guideline for schools is they Um, typically try and keep students indoors once temperatures dip to around minus 20, which is different if we look to our east, Winnipeg, even Toronto. They don't bring students in until minus 28. And then when you look to the north in Calhoun, for example, their threshold is much colder. They don't bring students in until minus 35 or minus minus.
0: How much leeway is each individual school given? Do they kind of make call their own shots if it's really right along the, the threshold there? or How does that all work?
4: Yeah, so when I talked to the Calgary School Board yesterday, they said it's up to the discretion of the principal and vice principal, but it really has to do with are the kids prepared. So if they have a few students that show up without the proper a tire to go out, even if it's minus 10, they're going to keep all the students in because for supervision reasons, you know, you need to have uh, X amount of teachers per X amount of students. They can't just let half of the students out and keep half in. So a lot of times what happens, even if they don't meet that minus 20 threshold, they'll keep students indoors and just find activities to burn that excess energy, which, of course, all those students have.
0: What I suppose as well is that you have to factor in that getting ready part. And if you've got a 20-minute recess, but you're spending 10 minutes getting ready and then 10 more minutes getting everybody undressed again, uh, it probably defeats the purpose of, of even having an outdoor recess.
4: Yeah, those 15, 20-minute recesses do go by super quick, but it is good to get, uh, personally, I think, getting those students used to putting on all those layers and And uh, learning how important that is versus just, you know, I know sometimes when I was a kid, throwing on your boots and your jacket's not even zipped up and your tube's half on you're running out the door so fast because you want to go play, but that has consequences. So there is kind of that catch-22. is Yeah, it takes a lot of time to get dressed, but you should be teaching those students uh, kind of the proper way to get ready to go outside while we have these frigid temperatures
0: what I have enjoyed watching is some of the commentary after you posted the story online and even some of the email and said, Oh, kids are so soft these days. And I'm sitting (laughs) there going, you do realize that it's the boards and the, the adults who are making the decisions here, right?
4: Yeah, absolutely. And you know what? I was kind of surprised because there were a lot of people that said, Oh, well, when I was a kid, I went outside and minus 40, no problem. But then when I put a poll up on our Twitter page and asked how cold is too cold? And my three options were minus 20, minus 30, or minus 40, and almost half voted for minus 20. So a lot of people do agree that minus 20 should be the threshold, but when you look across Canada, we almost look weak compared to the rest (laughs) of the country because ours is so warm, even compared to Toronto, you know, and of course Winnipeg does get uh, much colder than we do here in Calgary, but, but Toronto area... Um, and, and farther east, their threshold is much colder than ours, which I thought was, was so funny. But I always enjoy reading those comments and seemed like a very good discussion of parents yeah. going back and forth. Um, should we be allowing those students to go out and embracing the cold and adjusting to the cold? If it's going to be cold for weeks and weeks, shouldn't they get used to it now?
0: For sure. And I'm still not used to it. I'm an adult and I'm still sitting there going. Actually, the worst part is I looked at the, the thermostat the other day and went minus 15. That's almost light jacket weather. And then I quickly I remember know. that it's not quite light jacket weather. Yet, you know, but in any makes kind of sign.
4: Right? Yeah, it makes us appreciate this nicer weather that much more. And the good news is we're out of the thick of it. So for the rest of March, It looks like temperatures are going to be on the warmer side of things. And I think we'll just appreciate it that much more after six weeks of bitterly cold temperatures.
0: Agreed. Tiffany, thank you so much for the time today.
4: Thanks for having me.
0: Let's talk a little burgers. So good food. Uh, A list out of travel seven is what it's called. Listing the top twenty, uh, top 50 burgers in Canada, and five from Calgary made the list, including Clive Burger at number 11, Burger 320 at 21st, 32nd Tonic Kitchen and Bar, 34th was Native Tongues, and 48th was Boogie's Burgers. Number one coming in at the, on the list, Uniburger out of Montreal. And it had me thinking about the food scene here in Calgary. Gwendolyn Richards is a freelance food writer and blogger. She joins us now talk a little bit more about uh, what her career has seen her go or what she's seen during her career Gwendolyn thanks for joining us today
5: thanks for having me
0: when you look back to the very beginning of when you kind of started to look over the food industry in Calgary and you look at it now how has it changed how has that landscape uh evolved
5: it has changed significantly in the last sort of nine years or so um you know for a long time we were the city Meat and potatoes, steak houses, and so on. And right around the time that I started food writing was when we first began to see a shift where chefs were becoming much more creative in their approaches. Um, sort of started, you know, with charcut, really. And... um the the way that they were approaching food was quite different. And I think it sort of opened the door for a lot of other chefs and restaurateurs to be able to take a far more creative
0: approach. What kinds of foods do you see as like you said, meat and potatoes has been our our bread and butter, man. Oh man. I'm doing really good with with that. (laughs) But at the same time, um, what kinds of foods are, are, have really stuck out to you? What kinds of uh, eateries have really made a, made an impact in the city thus far?
5: Model milk definitely was um, also in the forefront there. I think um, Justin LeBeau's approach to sort of comfort food, especially with a bit of a southern bent, right, like chicken and waffles, um, but he would do it sort of to the next level, Um Very creatively, you still got a sense of what that dish had come from or what its origins was, but it was just so much more refined and interesting and creative. And then, of course, he went on to do Pigeonhole, which um, completely capitalized on the whole um, small plates phenomenon. And uh, other restaurants that we're sort of seeing, especially in the last couple of years, um, you know, Calcutta Cricket Club. Uh, Two-penny Chinese native tongue. So what we're seeing is sort of um, we're seeing more of those international cuisines um, find a really rock-solid place in the dining scene.
0: And the one thing that I think puts Alberta and Calgary apart from maybe some of the others across the country is you also have... That local flair with the agriculture sector, and I know talking to a lot of different businesses around town is that they that's what they capitalize on is, you know, you're not going to get a steak like you're going to get in Alberta. You're not going to get the meat, whether it's chicken or, or beef or whatever, or pork for that matter. A lot of these uh, eateries are really going for that local approach and trying to stand out that way.
5: Yeah, local is a, a huge phenomenon. I don't think we can call it a fad anymore, thankfully. It's just become sort of part of the everyday language for restaurants. But what's so special about Alberta, even though we have um, obviously a very short growing season, mm-hmm. um, I don't think restaurants are actually letting them be limited by that. They build really good relationships with local producers. So, um, you know, smaller smaller producers like Drive View Lamb or uh, Berkshire Pork from... Um, and and also various other pork producers and so on. So what you're getting is like high, high, high quality ingredients um, from really relatively close to Calgary, definitely within Alberta, which is so nice to see, um, to be able to celebrate those ingredients that are homegrown. Yeah,
0: one thing I've noticed about the the downturn with the restaurants is those who are trying different things and making people come back because they've got a a different kind of dish that maybe you see a picture on Instagram or whatever, you go, I got to have that, right? Like there's that aspect of, you know, if you try something, maybe something is going to hit and it's going to make business go boom for a little bit.
5: Yes, and I'm, you know, let's face it, everyone loves uh,
0: food photos. Yeah. They
5: <laughs> they can definitely draw people into a restaurant, so I, I think that is a huge part of it. But I think it's also that they just, each restaurant manages to find that one killer dish that has you coming back, and then they can populate the menu with other creative things like try new dishes or try new flavor combinations, because it's the, like, it's the wings that and you that are going to bring you in every time. But yeah. then you're like, oh, hey, what, what creation is Chef O come up over here? and I should try that while
0: I'm having the wings that I love so much. No, it's uh, now my mouth is watering. Great. Thanks a lot for that. Gwendolyn, <laughs> yeah, <you're welcome. laughs> that's, uh, that's fantastic. I, I do appreciate the time and, and giving us a little insight into Calgary's food scene. Thank you so much.
5: Thanks for having me.
0: You can follow her on Twitter at Gwendolyn, M-R-G-W-E-N-D-O-L-Y-N-M-R uh, for more on her reviews of the city's food scene. Thanks so much for listening to the Calgary Today podcast. You can find it on iTunes, Google Play, and TuneIn. When you do, don't forget to write the show and leave a comment. Until next time, my friends.